Please join me in prayer. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you're anything like me, some of the stories of the Old Testament can be troubling, especially those that contain harsh images of God's wrath toward his people. Let's take a look at a few contenders. In the taking of the city of Jericho in the book of Joshua, the Israelites, with the help of God, take the walled city. Joshua 6 says, They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing. Every living thing perished. Or how about that cute children's story about Noah and his family and the animals lining up two by two and marching into the ark? Let's not forget about the rest of mankind. In Genesis 6, God says to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Ouch. The story I'd like to talk to you today about also comes from the Old Testament. And although there aren't massive deaths, actually there are no deaths involved at all, there is a punishment given that I've always felt didn't fit the crime. And I'll admit before I start that I've always found this story troubling and I am troubled that I am troubled by it. For who am I to question God's motives? Let me share what I've come to understand on my own personal journey in relation to the story of Moses being denied entry to the Promised Land. Before we read the passage today, some of the backstory. As Andy has taught us during Lent, the book of Exodus begins to tell the story of God's people being freed from slavery and beginning the journey to the Promised Land. The entire 40 years of wandering is covered by five books in the Bible. Exodus for one to two years, Leviticus for about a year, Numbers for about 37 years, Deuteronomy for about one year, and finally the people entering the Promised Land in the beginning of the book of Joshua. We pick up the story today in the book of Numbers, about 38 years into the journey. So let's turn our attention to the book that we love, that has proven over and over again to be both timeless and timely. A reading from the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? There is no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, 
so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we've been told when tackling stories in the Old Testament, it's helpful to view them as all pointed to Jesus. St. Augustine says, The New Testament lies hidden in the Old, and the Old Testament is unveiled in the New. I'd like to examine our story in this way, adding that this epidemic will also be done under the enormous shadow cast by the COVID-19 pandemic. On first glance, you'd have to say that the punishment's overly harsh, but I think there's a timely and valuable lesson to be learned in the actions of all three players in this drama, especially about how anxiety causes anger and fear to enter into our decision-making process, and the price is paid for those decisions. The first, of course, is Moses, the second, the people, and the third is God. Let's begin with Moses. It's hard not to be sympathetic with him. Here's a man who obeys God 99.9% of the time. Here's a man who, with the help of his brother Aaron, faced down Pharaoh, one of the most powerful men in the world. Here's a man who, on multiple occasions, convinces God not to destroy his people. So what was the cause of Moses' disobedience? Anger. Let's give this a modern perspective. Say you're 80 years old. Did I fail to mention that Moses was 80 years old when this journey began? Next, I'll allow you to choose a metaphor you most relate to. Let's say you're an 80-year-old Uber driver, or an Atlantic City casino bus driver, or a parent driving a minivan. Your vehicle is really big. You're transporting the entire city of Baltimore, Maryland. It's about 600,000 people. The trip to the Promised Land is only about 120 miles, yet your GPS is hacked by God, who wants to take the scenic route south to Mount Sinai. Can you imagine all the complaining? Nevertheless, the journey ends in two years, right at the doorsteps of the Promised Land. The Uber driver can't believe the mess in the back seat and that he only receives a one-star endorsement from the ungrateful patrons. The casino bus driver quits to drive a school bus, and the parent is mumbling in a catatonic state, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Now the Israelites' journey could have ended there, only two years, not 40. Moses, as ordered by God, dispatches spies to check out the Promised Land. They return glowing with praise for a land flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants. There are giants in the land. And even though God has promised his people that he would be with them in battle, 
The people's anxiety manifests into fear, and they rebel. God wants to strike them all down. Moses again talks God out of killing them. However, Moses does punish, I'm sorry, however, God does punish the entire generation that witnessed his miracles in Egypt. They're not permitted to enter the promised land. The Odyssey then continues for another 38 years. That leads us to today's reading. Moses at this time is now approaching 120 years old. Now I have to be clear about the reading today. I could have started at verse two, but I believe verse one has an important piece to the story. Verse one tells us that Miriam died and was buried. Miriam is the older sister of Moses and Aaron. And in the backdrop of this sorrow, once again, the people complained loudly, this time with thirst. Moses reacted probably the same way most of us would, with anger. What is clear to me is that Moses paid the price for those he defended again and again. Does that remind us of anyone in particular? Looking through the lens of the New Testament, it's fair to say that Jesus, our true example of God in human flesh, showed anger on more than one occasion. Some examples. Overturning the tables of the money changers and vendors in the temple. Also, his rebuking of Peter. First, even referring to Peter as Satan, and then in the Garden of Gethsemane for falling asleep. So I ask you, how is Christ's anger different than the anger of Moses? The answer is simple. Jesus' anger was always justified as it gave glory to God. His anger in the temple showed people that God is holy and they should not defile his worship space. His rebukes of Peter led to Peter's transformation to become one of the early pillars of the Christian church, once again to the glory of God. Moses' anger did not serve God's purposes, not at all. While striking the rock, he seems to take credit for the miracle for himself and Aaron. Ironically, earlier in the wilderness story, Moses was commanded to bring water from the rock by hitting it with the staff. This time, God's order was very different. Perhaps God wanted to show the people that the power did not lie in the physical staff, but with God only. We'll never know. In our recent Lenten Pilgrim Group Bible study, while studying the sermons of Exodus, I was surprised by the amount of anger that the COVID-19 experience had brought up to the surface. I have no remedy for this. All I have is God's words to Moses, but you did not trust in me enough. In your anxiety, does it feel like you've lost control? There have been times lately when I felt this way. When was running out to ShopRite a possible life and death situation? When will I be able to hug my children and grandchildren again? When will we be able to worship again in this sanctuary that we love? Sure, I'm angry. But what made us think we were ever in control? God is in control. That you can be sure of. All this he has allowed to be done is for his glory, though we cannot comprehend it. 
over and over again, those four words creep back into my thoughts. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Makes me angry that I'm angry. And that's the first character, Moses. His price paid was steep. Let's look at the next actor in the drama, the people. And when I say people, I mean all of us. As Andy mentioned numerous times during Lent, the Israelite story is our story. Is there any amongst us who would not say honestly that their own behavior would be any different than that of the Jewish people? We are his modern day people. Jim Caviezel, the actor who portrayed Christ in the movie The Passion said, it's a film that when you watch it, it asks you a big question. Hey, where are you going to go? What character are you playing in the Bible? I wonder. Two weeks ago, we celebrated Palm Sunday. The people welcomed the triumphant Jesus, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as a king. They cheered joyously, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yet only four days later, these same people are calling for his crucifixion. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that the chief priests stirred the crowd. I wonder what fear they played to, what they could have said to turn the people against Jesus. But they did. And our price was paid by a man who was sinless. Now, I have to tell you, a large part of my motivation to teach on this topic was driven by my love for a song from the 1970s called The Price You Pay. And yes, it's a Bruce Springsteen song. The song talks of men building roads that they would drive to their death. Strong metaphors for the life paths of people who made bad decisions. That there is a price to pay for every decision a person makes in life. And the consequences, especially for those decisions not made well, is not pretty. Here's what verse four says. Do you remember the story of the promised land? how we crossed the desert sands and could not enter the chosen land. On the banks of the river he stayed to face the price you pay. For years I've questioned Bruce's grammar, in particular the pronouns. I've often thought they were sung in error, as we crossed the desert sand and he stayed on the banks of the river. There's an incredible sadness to the imagery of an old man now 120 years old, who dedicated so much of his life to the service of God. He's standing on the banks of the river, watching as others fulfilled what God had promised to them. How is it that one man pays the price for the sins of his people, all without complaint? What does that mean for us today, as we live as First Peter characterizes God's elect Exiles scattered throughout the provinces. As your isolation, anxiety-driven fear overcomes you, where are you going for comfort? Based on my inability to buy pancake mix in any grocery store nearby, I have a pretty good idea. And the rumor that I'm willing to trade toilet paper for pancake mix is true. Recently, the phrase, you never let a serious crisis go to waste, has gotten a lot of press. 
and never have words been more truthful. I'd like for you to please consider this phrase not in any political terms, but in terms of good and evil, heaven and hell. In our current existence, the fields are ripe for planning for both heaven and hell. Some scary facts. For the weekend in March 21st, states with legal sales of marijuana are reporting sales up 50%. Online U.S. liquor sales are up 243%. Online pornography viewing is up, and Nestle is claiming to have difficulties keeping stores stocked with their snacks. There are other anecdotal instances where people are turning to sin during these special times. When your anxiety is leading you to fear and you need comfort, where are you turning? How about God? How about the only true source of lasting comfort? Today, that drink or that giant Kit Kat bar will comfort you, but tomorrow what will you do? Are you in touch with the price that you'll pay physically, mentally, and spiritually for the bad decisions you make in this anxiety? Got fear? Need comforting? Look no further than the book of God's truths. How about Psalm 46? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Or John 14, where Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. What would it look like if you used some of your time in isolation to God's glory? What if you devoted some of your Netflix time to him? He desires you to be in relationship with him, to trust that his plans for you are good. Consider trying these four steps from the book Happiness is a Choice by Dr. Frank Minerth and Dr. Paul Meyer. Number one, determine to obey God. God commands us not to be anxious. Two, pray. God promised Daniel that he would answer, and Daniel was not to fear. Three, meditate on positive thoughts. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And four, divert attention from self to others. As an individual gets his mind off his own problems by helping others, his anxiety also decreases. We the people are the second characters. A large part of our price was paid by Moses and then by Jesus. It is yet to be determined how much more of a price we will have to pay. Lastly, the final actor is God. It must have been so difficult for God to punish Moses. His faithful servant for so long, whom he most definitely loved. And how do I know this? Let me give you two examples. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, from the top of Mount Nebo, God shows Moses the promised land and tells Moses, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross into it. Moses dies there, and God himself buries him. The last example occurs some 1,400 years after Moses' death 
as Jesus walks the earth. I'd like to use my one allowable sports metaphor here to tell the story. Imagine God the coach has determined that he's going to go down to earth to tell the world of how pleased he is with his son. He decides he's going to take two all-stars with him. As he peers down that long bench, he sees Abraham, Joshua, Isaiah, David, and a host of others. They're all standing, yelling, pick me, pick me. God first picks Elijah. He then looks down toward the end of the bench and sees someone sitting quietly. It's Moses. He calls out, come on, Moses, I choose you. He then takes Elijah and Moses down to earth where he proclaims his pleasure to his son in what we call the transfiguration. So what does that teach us about God? I believe that our God's judgment is just. I believe that our God's forgiveness is abundant. I believe that our God's love knows no boundaries. I believe that our God is at work, even today, and that all things are for his glory. I'd like to close with a prayer about fear from Neil Anderson in his book, Walking Through the Darkness. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the fortress, shield, and strength of my life. I refuse to be intimidated by any fear object. I choose to sanctify Christ as the Lord of my life. You are the only omnipotent, omnipresent God. You have not given me a spirit of fear. By your presence in my life, I have power, love, and a sound mind. Your power enables me to live a responsible life. Your presence in my life has made me a partaker of your divine nature, so I can love others as you love them. You are my sanctuary, and I ask you to protect my family. Amen. God bless.